Comparison price for Thursday, November 16th, 2023. Coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. And if you're heading to a game, why not make it a staycation? Call the hotel 604-331-1000. Matt Sakaris alongside Blake Price, Grady Sass, hitting switches, conducting things. This show, presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Nissan in Surrey has a huge overstock of Nissan Leafs. Go check out the brand new EV that will change the way you commute. Also, rates from 5.99%. Rogues, available for financing from 3.99%. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today asking you, is Quinn Hughes having the greatest season in Canucks history? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price. Twitter and YouTube. And I got to say, I voted yes. Verbiage here is having, not has had. If Quinn Hughes is going to lead the NHL in scoring, if he is going to be a 100-plus point defenseman, yeah, absolutely. That, for me is the greatest season in Vancouver Canuck history, with all due respect to two 60-goal campaigns from Pavel Bury, to 112-point Hart Trophy season from Henrik Sedin, and from the MVP seasons of Marcus Naslin and Daniel Sedin, all of them sublime, as was Roberto Luongo's first year here in Vancouver. But I don't think any of them would hold a stick to Hughes if he continues on this pace. He is driving team success in a massive way and is doing something that we just haven't ever seen with this franchise and have seen very infrequently, if ever, amongst defensemen in the league. How good does a defensive season have to be to compete with a 60-goal forward season? See, in in my view, it's harder to score points as a defenseman. That's what I'm saying. So, like, is a a 90-point defenseman season with 20 goals, is that better than a 60-goal season from a forward? Like, what's the equation there? Does he need to get to haven't. I haven't actually done the math. Well, there's no math to do per se. I mean, it's it's really, you know, what's your own internal equation where one equals or – Well, I mean, he's on pace for a 133-point season. Now, I – don't think he's going to get there, obviously. But I think 20 goals is eminently doable now. Mm-hmm. And I think 90 points is eminently doable. Is mm-hmm. 100 points eminently doable? Because if he gets 20 and 80, if effectively. If he stays healthy. If he gets 20, I mean, you would, here's the other thing. And I'll, I'll vote yes for now. Here's the thing to that, that sways us a little bit, that, that we have to – Count or account for in our in our subconscious here. We're coming from a, a place here in this organization in this city where defensive spectacular defensive seasons are not exactly a dime a dozen. No, uh, well, haven't happened. Yeah, period. Full stop. Where Alex Edler kind of years are really the the tops. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, not necessarily offensively. You can make the argument that well, offense- his seventy six point season last year was the best in Canucks history. Yeah. So, Blake, there's been 700-point seasons in the history of this franchise. There have been 1,390-point seasons in the history of this franchise. Yeah, it's it's rarefied error, never mind for a defenseman. Because here's the other thing. If he keeps this up, he's taking home the Hart Trophy and the Norris Trophy. 
Yeah. Yeah, he, he is. And and the crazy thing is, is it's not just about the offense. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've, we've chronicled this massive chasm that he's got in terms of puck possession, mm-hmm. which is effectively playing defense because when you've got the puck on your stick – for minutes more than the second place guy in the league, you're playing defense. Bobby Orr, who did it three times, and Chris Pronger, who did it once, are the only two people to win the Hart and the Norris. And at this stage of the game, if you're watching the NHL season, Quinn Hughes has been the best defenseman. Quinn Hughes has been the best player. Tied for the league lead in points with his two teammates, Elias Pettersson and JT Miller, after a 4-3 overtime victory over the Islanders at home Wednesday in Bo Horvat's return game. They raced two different two-goal deficits in this hockey game. Brock Besser with his 13th goal, tied for the league lead with Austin Matthews and Kyle Connor. Here's the other thing about Hughes. And again... Always say imperfect stat when looking at plus minus. His plus 18 is plus five better yeah. than that best player. Mm-hmm. Barkoff in Florida. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's just an unbel- unbelievable year. And and it, it helps, of course, that the team as a, as a general rule is playing well around him. Mm-hmm. Um, that his goaltenders bailing him out when things don't go right. Um, it's, it's incredible. And you know, they even passed a little test last night as well. Like, they, you know, in terms of the regression watch, we're all on regression watch here. Um, you know, they play their worst game in a long time versus the Leafs on the weekend. Bounce back the very next day and get a nice tidy road win. Mm-hmm. Last night, they did not play great first period. They were horrible in the first period. The top two lines were destroyed in the first period. And yet, were marvelous over the final 40. Mm-hmm. They picked up their so these are two little tests, but you know none of them at the super macro level, but you know certainly at the smaller level they're finding ways to to right themselves. Flip switch, Blake. We used to always say it about the 2011, 2010, 2011 team, the two presidents trophy winning teams. They could just flip a switch, and they never let things get too far away from them. Right, they they never let things compound too too much. Two goal deficits were like, okay, they still got this, or they're still in this, which is not anything you have said about the Vancouver Canucks in the last eight nine years. Or two goal deficits were death. Or and then also zoom out, you lose back to back games. Don't lose the third game. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know right. like nip things in the bud. You know, don't let things get away on you. And right now, the Vancouver Canucks are 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 doing just that. Tied with the Vegas Golden Knights on points for first in the Western Conference, and that's a Vegas team that won seven straight to open the season. We've never seen that from a Stanley Cup defending Stanley Cup champion. They won eleven of their first twelve, and yet the Canucks lead them by virtue of the tiebreaker regulation wins. Second place in the entirety of the NHL, third on points percentage, and nine points up on a playoff spot in the West through yeah. sixteen games. And again, if you're if you're a Canuck fan, just keep on. You know, even if you're still of a belief, oh, this is just a hot streak; they can't possibly continue. And and I think that has to be said. The the they are a good team, but they're not this good. But doesn't matter. Like ride this wave till you hit the beach, 
mm-hmm. and then deal with what comes after that. But you got to keep riding this wave. And I mean, they could be ten games above five hundred. You know how I feel about the beach. The beach. Yes, we're not there yet. Not there yet. Now, we talked about how Carson Soucy being out six to eight weeks is the first real bout of adversity. And more adversity comes last night. Good to see Andre Kuzmenko posting on Instagram that he's feeling okay, but that was a scary-looking incident. We'll see if he's a go in Calgary. Pierce Suter, some mystery around that. Everybody thought he was playing Tuesday, and next thing you know, he was out, Hoaglander was in. And then I know Friedman returned to the lineup, but that looked like quite a whack to the head against the glass on the Cal Clutterbuck hit. So we're going to see some tests here with regards to their depth. I still think you can make the argument that this is a top-heavy team. Like one of the things that I think we'll be discussing here going forward, and, and I think there was probably a window there when we would have discussed it in terms of making the playoffs, but now with such a big cushion, I think we'll probably, at least in the near term, be discussing it in terms of contention for a Stanley Cup. You know, can a two-line, one-pair team go that deep in the Stanley Cup playoffs? And not to disparage the bottom six, because I thought the bottom six was darn good last night. Didn't get on the score sheet, but I thought the the Sam Lafferty line, the Teddy Bluger line, and they drew three penalties. I mean, Dakota Joshua drew two. Garland drew one. Bluger had a ton of chances. The Lafferty line was terrific in the first period. But... Don't have to go too far back when we were talking about, boy, they need some more production from that bottom six. And needless to say, the sum of the parts on defense have been pretty good here. You know, as individuals, I'm I'm not necessarily sure we're looking at a Stanley Cup defense. The sum of the parts has been greater. And so how do you maintain without Susie? Does Hiroshi at some point draw in here? And... If you are without Kuzmenko, what does that do to your top six? I guess Garland elevates. Yeah, I don't think we're talking long term no, with Kuzmenko. No, no. So I, I, you know, if you have to patch it with something like that, but mm-hmm. Bullvillier and, and Garland are options. Obviously, both can in the short term. But get it promotion. may not just be availability; it might be effectiveness with Kuzmenko as well. I mean, that can have a psychological effect taking a puck like that yeah potentially is he gonna be as willing uh in the net front area i, I incidentally you know miller avoids that heronic missile last night too i mean we've talked about how how they've been terrific in getting that net front traffic this year and, and besser and garland and a number of miller number of guys have been so brave hanging in there and it's too bad because I, th- I really saw Kuzmenko trending yes. well. I mean, d- yep. t- to get the two penalties called on the same play is that, crazy. There was an uptick th- in his game for sure. And he stole again. Uh, he's sort of like Pedersen. Like, mm-hmm. the points are there, and they probably still can be better. Uh, so it's I- – I think they can probably roll with the punches from the Kuzmenko thing, more and so than the Kususi thing. Ronick goes for a franchise record tonight. For points in consecutive games by a defenseman, 12. No Vancouver Canuck has ever done that. Not even Quinn Hughes. And that shot, by the way, 291 miles an hour off of his stick. It looked like it anyway. 
It wasn't because the, there has been a uh, there has been a, a, a scoring change there. Yes, he was credited with 107, almost 108 mile an hour shot. It was a uh, it was a hundred. It was a mere hundred. But it was still the ninth fastest shot in the NHL this season, mm-hmm. recorded on this new edge thing. For, for which, I mean, Matt, do they have to cater to that shot just a little bit more? Should they maybe well, try to it, use it a bit yeah, more? You know, how well are things going for the Vancouver Canucks? Kuzmenko takes a puck in the mouth, is on the ice, kicking his legs, blood visible on the visor, on the jersey. And they replace him with a defenseman who goes out and immediately scores. Yeah. Like, that's how good things are going for the Vancouver Canucks. With Miller screening after Miller had taken that slap shot. Right. As mentioned, the bravery is commendable here. Because you see something like that, you got to think it gives you pause. But these guys—I mean, these guys have seen scary things throughout their careers, and yeah, they do have—they do have a, an unbelievable ability to compartmentalize. And mm-hmm. as hard as that is, I don't think it should be an expectation. We're all human. You see scary shit. You're allowed to be scared a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do have a marvelous way of, of compartmentalizing. They do. Let's hear from the head coach Rick Tockett on Quinn Hughes, who ins- and look, overtime game. And a power play game, so there is some context here. But Quinn Hughes plays 29 minutes last night, 29-24. Here's Tockett. Yeah, I mean, the 30 minutes, like, it's, it's you know, a lot of power play. Like, I mean, what, what do we have, five powers or five power plays? Uh, we had tonight, I can't remember, five or six. So that's, you know, that's 12 minutes, um, and they had possession a lot, so... You know, they're, you know, just I don't know what he had ten minutes of power play time, so it, it's not a. I mean, listen, it's hard, but it's not a grinding. I, I you know, I, I don't really want him to play thirty minutes if it's not a lot of power plays. It's a lot of grinding. We got to, we do have to manage his minutes though. This is a, a marathon, not a sprint. But tonight, I mean, as a play, you know, you can't take the guy off the ice. I mean, you, you got to put him on the power play. So, and you know, you saw him out there. He's got some lungs. I mean, look at the, look at the overtime goal. You know. Uh, I love how he takes you into the internal struggle about when he's playing like that. It's hard to take him off the ice. Yeah, coach. <laughs> Understandably so. You're so much better with him on the ice than without him. I, I got into a little uh, thing with a couple of fans because I had the audacity to point out a, uh, a an instance when JT Miller could have skated a little bit harder on the on the Horvath goal. On the huge yeah. turnover, yeah. and we should mention that. that uh, that he turns the puck over that leads directly to Bo Horvat's goal, and we'll get to Bo here in a second. And so one of the things that I heard there from from the people that are like, you're always piling on Miller, which I never do, but anyway, um, was he was tired. It was, it was actually Miller's shortest shift of the period, but here's the thing. On that shift, Hughes, who turns the puck over and then gets into the middle to defend, was on an over two-minute shift yeah. at the time. And and he's still looking as sprightly as ever. Well, which is probably why he turns the puck over to begin with, right? I, I, he's he's just always out there. Mm-hmm. He's always out there. So it's uh, it's pretty remarkable um, what this guy. I I do wonder, and we heard about him in the offseason working on the shot. Is he is he in better shape than he's ever been? Is that a possibility? Like to to do the stopping and starting that he's doing. It's exhausting. 
And um, I think Rick Talk is right. You, you do have to watch it. I don't know. You want 29 every night. But my goodness, the guy just goes and goes and goes. And Blake, six shots on goal last night. It's a team high. Five more attempts blocked, two missed. Yeah. 13 shots directed towards the goal. He leads the Vancouver Canucks in shots. I mean, it's just... And I love it. I, I mean, as he showed with the with the, the game winning snipe, he, his shot is better for sure. Uh, you can tell that he waits and waits and is patient, looking for an avenue to shoot. And it's only when he doesn't see one that he that he passes off. Mm-hmm. And I think we are in the NHL. At least we're, we're seeing here in our window, we are seeing a return of the point shot a little bit, a little bit. You know, like it, it's 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 still more a get it through, get it on, as opposed to but when you've got slick skaters like Ronick and Hughes. You know, it's more than just a hope bet. Oh, for sure. Like they're they're, and, they're shooting a score in yeah. some cases, as we saw with Ronick. Only Roman Yossi has more shots on goal by a defenseman in the National Hockey League, and it's only two more than Quinn Hughes. Yossi with fifty four. Hughes, sorry, one more. Hughes with fifty three. Bo Horvat, and as predicted. He touched the puck, he got the booze. When the video tribute came on, standing ovation from the faithful at Rogers Arena. Was a little worried for him when I saw him misty in warm-up and handing out pucks and going out of his way to high-five fans. I mean, you could tell all the feels there. That it meant so much to him to play in this city, a rabid hockey environment, to captain this franchise. And when the video tribute goes on, Blake, I mean, there are times he can barely stand to watch. Yeah. He's biting the mouth guard. The lips are pursed. The grimaces, you can tell he is fighting it all back. Nice touch on the linesman who sort of drifts by and goes like, are you okay? Yeah. Are you ready to roll here? Kind of reminds me of the Matt Sundin uh, in Toronto return where he just became a mess in the Linesman went, okay, I'll give you a minute here. No speedy face-off. Miller joked that he uh, slid up beside him and said, okay, enough of the crybaby stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, it, it, to me, it all hit all the right notes. It, to me, it was genuine. I thought the um, the reception was, uh, I think, a little tongue-in-cheek from the fans at times. I don't think it was mean-spirited, even the booing that we heard. Um, I, I think it was I think it was a perfect return, right? and he and he got the, he got to score a goal too, and the home side yet is victorious, and the, the fans get to go home happy too. So here's Bo Horvat on his return game. It definitely feels good to uh, to get that one over with and and just move on and focus on the rest of the year. Um, it's always it was fun to get back here and, and see everybody, and um, would have been nice to get two points, but um, you know take the positives here and move on till tomorrow. And I'm sure he would hate me for saying it, but when I think of the fact that Bo Horvat was trying to get ahead of this game last week, like he basically did two full rounds of trying to get ahead of the story. Yeah. And when I hear him saying, glad it's over and, you know, can now get on with the rest of the season, I'm not sure Bo Horvat was taking it one game at a time, Blake. 
I have a feeling that he sort of needed to get through this game from an emotional or psychological point of view just to almost fully become an Islander here. Well, I mean, he's not he's not the Islanders because it's a big team and it's a team sport, but, I mean, this is six losses in a row. I wonder if mm. you start to see him exhale and play. I mean, he's already the leading point getter, but, you know, I wonder if he's able to lead by sort of uh, letting this go now and, and getting this team back on track. And the other thing I was wor- worried about for the Canucks last night is – because of the immensity of this game for Horvat, I think there were some pretty motivated guys on the other side. Oh, yeah. Who knew what it meant to Bo yeah, and were sure. sure to put their best foot forward. And I think you saw that in the first period. That absolutely happens. Yeah. They played a very and, good first And you period. saw it late, too, because the Canucks go 10 minutes in the third period after getting the equalizing goal where they don't get a shot. And it's Islander chance after Islander chance including Thatcher Demko nearly giving the game away. That was funny, though, because they, they, they get the tying goal, and then the first shift uh, after that, uh, the Canucks are outstanding. They have tons of pressure, tons of zone time, but they don't get a shot in that sequence, and then the Islanders get some footing. And I think the Canucks at one point had shot ahead 37 to 26, maybe, in shots on goal. And then in that 10-minute span, Islanders start to, pound, uh, to pile them up and, and nearly even it up. Football in question for you. Mm-hmm. Win or lose Sunday, are the Winnipeg Blue Bombers already a dynasty? It's four straight Grey Cups, two that they won before getting upset by Toronto last year. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I know it's a four. It's a nineteen league, so you're thinking, oh, come on, your chance. No one's no one's been to four straight Grey Grey, Grey Cups, I believe. Think, I think that's a first. Well, Edmonton won five five in a row back in the seventies. So you have to go Sorry, some in the last back. blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I because I know you're not going to um, be here tomorrow. You, you you think Winnipeg just runs them out of the? Stadium? I that would be my inclination. Yes. Um, oh, sorry. That's what it was. No QB has ever played in four right. straight Grey Cups. That was that's what I had read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, in the modern era, because it also the thing in the CFL is it is it is easy to bounce back. You can go worst to first or something close to that mm-hmm. in this league. So staying on top, and we, we've we've actually lamented this about the CFL before. It's sometimes tough to maintain rosters in the CFL. So you know, you know, promoting them and marketing a different team can be a difficult uh, task for CFL teams. The fact that Winnipeg's been able to keep a core group of players together and in some cases actually move on from like the Harris era to the Oliveira era and not skip a beat, it's uh, it's pretty remarkable. So, I mean, is O'Shea already a Hall of Fame coach? Well, it, it, I'm not sure about that, but he's um, clearly a CFL legend given his playing career and now coaching career. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say is, Good on the community-owned Winnipeg Blue Bombers, its board of directors, club president, who stuck with Mike O'Shea. Mm-hmm. They did a shit ton of losing there in the early going. It looked pretty grim. It looked it was a massive building project when he got there, and it looked like you know he was probably going to expire as coach before they got to the level that they needed to get to. There's something to be said for continuity. And they stuck with him. 
I think they felt like we've got a good head coach here. The head coach is not the problem. When the talent level gets there, we're going to be good. And boy, are they ever good. I remember seeing stories, though, on TSN of O'Shea on the hot seat. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He was absolutely on the hot seat several times. And here we are. They were turning over coordinators a fair bit, but they stuck with the big whistle. And yeah, they, in fact, like they are the first team to go to four straight since the five in a row Edmonton club in the late 70s and the early 80s. So now, one year of interruption there, as we all remember the COVID year in the CFL, didn't play in 2020. But looking for the game on Sunday. So you got Winnipeg and you're laying the points. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Okay. What's the spread right now, Corona? Uh, let me uh, get the updated for you here. I. I tend to like the underdog and the points in the Grey Cup. We, we've seen it so many times before. Like, even going back, I can remember covering the game in uh, Calgary in 2019 where my colleagues in the Football Reporters of Canada were virtually unanimous. Hamilton wins the game. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take Winnipeg. I'll certainly take the points. Uh, it's Winnipeg minus... Eight and, Eight and a half, half on Betway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm comfortable with that. All right. Let's get to today's menu. It is brought to you by Greta. If you haven't been to Greta, get on down there. It's on Cordova. Fantastic spot to catch the game throughout the season playoffs. Place to chill in the off season. We are joined today by Patrick Johnson of the province and post media. The topics include, well, our poll question. What's different about Quinn Hughes this year? The Elias Pettersson negotiations? I haven't touched a ton on that. What do you make of this potential for a uh, shorter-term four-year deal? Uh, I, I, one day we'll dive deeper into this. I wonder if we might have seen the end of the eight-year deal for the superstar. I wonder if the superstars, I wonder if things like like Calgary or mm-hmm. Harbingers, where I don't think superstars want to get hemmed in to, but they get their money. But but inflation. Yeah. And 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 they don't want to become the next Nathan McKinnon, where all of a sudden the mm-hmm. money that they thought was good is no longer good. If you keep chipping away at four-year deals, how much lower is the cap hit, actually? Yeah, fair enough. And Got a little bit more flexibility in terms of moving. And you think about all the superstars in the league, how many have had catastrophic injuries that have really affected them? I mean... One percent, you know, like it's still not that big mm-hmm. uh, a, a quotient. Most of them are going to say, "No, I'm going to be fine," and I'm going to get uh, a modern cap hit for the era that I'm playing yeah. in. I mean, you have to be prepared to go through the negotiation process more often, which some guys don't quite like. The whole notion of a contract year more often. And the whole notion of living up to the contract, especially in that first year. And some people might say, well, they can always find their way out. They can just demand a trade when you're that good. You yeah, can. But salary caps prevent them from being consummated. Wow. I, I, I think you're right, but I think what we've seen over the last few years, Blake, is an extreme example that you're not going to see as often going forward. The cap has been suppressed by a global pandemic. But all the more that reason. not going to be the case. All the more reason. If you think the cap is going to keep going up, why are you going to get stuck with a, mm-hmm. a four-year-old me- metric on your play yep. when you can get the current metric, well, which is going to be $4 but, million but dollars to, more. To some degree, Blake, it's the nature of the beast. Right, but you've, you, yeah, you... It's unavoidable. To some degree, it's unavoidable because mm-hmm. four-years-old metric is, is still going to be old, but it's better than a seven-year-old metric. 
And of course, there's also your grandchildren's grandchildren are taken care of, typically, with some of these contracts. But it's funny, they just don't think of it like that. No, I know. More no, is I more. Know. More uh, is more. Greed is the thing, mm. believe it or not. We're long past Gordon Gecko, and yet still greed. Big driver. Incidentally, this tweet from Jason Greger, uh, our friend in Edmonton. And look, long way to go. Hughes, Pedersen, and Miller would be the eighth trio to be 100-point players with one of the three being a defenseman. You have to go back to the 89 Pittsburgh Penguins with Mario Lemieux, Rob Brown, and Paul Coffey. In fact, the list of teams that have had three 100-point players, including one being a defenseman, is effectively a who's who of offensive teams in the history of the NHL. I'm sure, yeah. Mario's Pens, Gretzky's Oilers, which who did it three times. Coffee playing and on both. Coffee was the yeah, yeah. through line. <laughs> yeah, poor Paul Coffee. He had a real tough career, didn't yeah. he? The 79 Islanders with Trache, Basse, and Potvin. Yeah. And then Orr with Esposito and others with the early 70s Bruins. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. Orr, Potvin, Coffee. Late 80s Penguins, mid 80s Oilers, early 70s Bruins. Late seventies, early eighties Islanders, and see, like that is a who's who of the expansion era of the National Hockey League. And save for Rob Brown, Hall of Famers everywhere. Yeah, Curry, Messier, pretty good players. Yeah, I will do some hashtags. The best and worst of Twitter. Rob Williams drops by and is arguing the Canucks could contend this year. Says he can't really believe himself, but they're contenders. And uh, we'll talk about Bo Horvat night as well. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect, and I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the Bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here, right now. Elias Pettersson and the Vancouver Canucks are back talking contract extension, and one has to believe a franchise record, franchise best, 12-3-1 start, has brought them back to the table, as we know. Pedersen was taking a wait-and-see approach with this franchise and with organizational alignment for the first time in years. Finally, the team is showing signs. JT Miller is showing signs, too. Signs of being that second elite forward that all cup contenders have. That is one of the calculations for Camp Pedersen. Can the Canucks contend with Miller being the Robin to Petey's Batman? Go through the list of cup winners, and you'll typically see at least two high-end forwards. This time last year, it was unclear that Miller was that guy, particularly given the defensive struggles. But this season, Miller's not only keeping up the torrid offensive pace we've seen since he became a Canuck, but he's also playing an effective matchup role against the opposition's best lines. You have to think Elias likes that too. He's got more chances to fatten up against lesser opposition. Now, sure, you'd like to see more even-strength production from the Miller line, and he has benefited from playing so often with Quinn Hughes on defense. But really, let's pick a nits. In short, if Pedersen ever doubted him as a running mate, 
he's got little reason to do so anymore. And that was a concern because based on the Canucks cap predicament, improvement at the top end of the roster is going to be difficult. We saw the, we saw what it took to add Philip Ronick. They had to move a second-line center in Bo Horvat. They're going to have to do something similar to add a top-four right-shot defenseman or hope that first-round pick Tom Wielander is on a fast track. But up front, having that second elite forward, particularly the centerman, amounts to mission accomplished. Miller's tied with Pedersen and Quinn Hughes for NHL scoring and has improved his defensive chops, proving he can play the middle. All of that should prove reassuring for Pedersen as he contemplates a future in Vancouver. And I suspect Miller's performance alongside the team's are reasons why we're hearing positive news on the extension front. Let's welcome Matt for today. We invite your feedback. Feedback channels as follows on email live at securesomeprice.com. You can text 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox on Twitter at Matt Securus, at Price. And the welcome at a presentation of Great Clips, 37 salons in the lower mainland in Vancouver, all of them proudly Canadian-owned and operated. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, Neighborhood Brewing, Foolish Winery. And Foolish Wine has dropped something pretty fantastic. Sign up for a fantastic wine club to receive three fanciful shipments per year of nine Foolish bottles, including exclusive merch and first access to limited release wines. Blake Price has done this. You also receive 15% off anytime you shop in the tasting room and you have the unique opportunity to make reservations at all. Yellow Dog Beverage Company Tasting Rooms. Head to www.foolishwine.com to sign up. And at the end of a busy workday, treat yourself to a Foolish Wine, a Yellow Dog, or a neighborhood. Secure some price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Kia in Surrey has the Nero EVs in stock with rates from 6.49%, but think it's Celtos for a drive. That might be your speed too. Fabulous little hatchback gets you from A to B and with uh, fabulous traction with this winter season fast approaching as well. Rates there from 4.99% all at Applewood Kia in Surrey because it's all good at Applewood. Sounds fabulous. Yeah. Poll question today is Quinn Hughes having the greatest season in Canucks history. We will put it to our next next guest, Patrick Johnson of the province and post media who joins us Thursdays. Hello. Hi. How are we doing? Very well. Just another day covering the top, the top the of the conference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The first place <laughs> Vancouver Canucks. Answer our poll question for today. Are you tired of the winning? <laughs> <laughs> so much winning. Oh yeah, no. I mean, the joke used to be it's never boring in Canuckland. Are things boring, or is this what we're saying? Like, well, oh, to be honest, like that's the thing is that they are a very the- dramatic team. Like that, like last night yeah. was a crazy game. Like mm-hmm. it was like a goal line sweep. I mean, it, it, that was a, a fun night at the rink, which they are also providing in addition to wins. Yeah. Well, and- yeah, winning cures all, and the team is having a fun time. They. Obviously, you know, as you guys mentioned, Quinn Hughes is having this incredible season. And he's one, you know, there's three Canucks tied for scoring in the NHL, the NHL scoring league. Like, that's never happened. Like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quinn Hughes certainly is on track to have the, 
the most remarkable season in Canucks history. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, I, you can go to Bray, you can go to pick a Sedine. Pick, I mean, Marcus Naslin's forgotten should have been MVP season is mm-hmm. is in the mix, right? Like, because yeah. it, it was so that season was so dominant and so it wasn't out of nowhere, but it, it was such a confirmation of what I think people always thought he could be. You're, ta- you're talking o two o three, the hundred and four point forty eight goal year yeah. in the dead puck era, right? Yeah. So yes, dead puck, mm-hmm. you know there is an argument he you know he was the best player in the world that season. Like I think that's was, right. You you think about him, the, the the ability to come down on the wing and nail the wrist shot that you needed for a goal. Uh, it was it was it was a, a stunning season, um, because goals from distance had started drying up at that point. Well, that's um, it, and and you couldn't, you know, a guy like that shouldn't have been able to get loose, like, mm-hmm. like just the, 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 the defenseman being allowed to simply grab you. It, it just it, people forget what hockey was like twenty years ago, and that's what made those Canucks so thrilling as well was that they played very similar to what this team's trying to do, very up tempo, you know, making your defense essentially your offense, right? And that is what Quinn Hughes is doing. That is the 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 incredible thing. Um, is that the, the the thing that him and like Chronic when they've been playing together? The reason why they've been so dominant is they never have to play defense, um, and and so Quinn Hughes for that reason because it's you know the Bobby Orr comparisons are starting to flow now. That is why it's it is going to it could very well be the most remarkable season in Canucks history. I remember McCarr's breakout year, watching tape from Colorado, going, "It's just incredible." Um, I, I he's there, uh, and and we, we saw it in Spurs. Like we've seen everything that Quinn Hughes has done this season, we have seen him do, but he's just doing more of it, and it's remarkable because it's a lot of work to do what he's doing. It's remarkable that he's able to pull it off for sixty minutes, uh, playing as dynamically as he. The only guy that I can compare seeing in the last thirty years being this dynamic on the blue line is Makar, honestly, and now Hughes is right there. Yeah, I, I, you you look at all the things he's doing. You look at how much he's making his teammates better. I mean, there there is this story on, um, there is this story on on sort of how good a season JT Miller's having. A huge part of how well JT Miller's playing is because he's with Quinn Hughes. Like like he's having a strong season. There there, we know he can do stuff with the puck, but the fact that he is playing with the guy that's having this incredible year is a huge factor. And I had a great chat with, with JT about it yesterday and a story going, going up today um, at the province about, about that very factor. Just the, just the, the it, it's, he's having such a good season that like everybody is benefiting. It's flowing to everyone. And you're right. Like the, 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 the car comparison is correct. And then beyond that, there is no comparison because it is such a new era of hockey. That's the other thing is there's, here's a little guy who never would have been drafted where he was drafted. And he still fell because people were like, oh, is he too small? And nobody cares now how tall he is. He's just, it's just, it is absolutely astounding how well he's playing. I mean, I, I remember thinking from the very beginning, you think of that button hook he can do all the time at the, you know, about the blue line, he gets himself, not even that he's in trouble, but he creates extra space for himself just because he's so agile. Matt Martin and coming out to meet him did. last night. Matt Martin coming out to meet him at the blue line a couple of times yeah. last night. <laughs> like, yeah. poor, poor Matt Martin. Sorry, you no, are not it, catching him. And and it's just it is he is a he is a a player of the like other than perhaps Beret, 
and in a way the Sedins that we just have not seen. He's changing, he changes the game around him every night. It is just absolutely amazing to watch. It's mesmerizing. Yeah. We were sitting here the other day and this one says to me, don't you love all these new storylines? Did you feel like we were sort of in a vacuum of storylines for, I don't know, however many years you've been covering the Canucks, Patrick? Because it was like, it was effectively all symptoms of the same disease. Groundhog Day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, (laughs) it's symptoms of the same disease. Groundhog Day is the kind way of putting symptoms of the same disease. I mean, throwing the no plan plan. You know, it was just endlessly, oh, maybe this collection will work. There's no particular rhyme or reason, but we like this guy and that guy. And, you know, Ian Cole's made a difference. You know, Pia Suter didn't play last night, but he's made a difference. Teddy Bluger looks like he's going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's, it's, um, it, it is, it is, it is. So much more interesting. I mean, there's just things to write. Why people are succeeding, why things are going well, um, is so much more engaging to write about. You know, and there there are so many different things to go at right now. I mean, obviously, we can talk about the fact that you know they're shooting shooting percentage is still it's not as high as it was. The regression's slowly happening, but but they won a one goal game last night, which is thing what I said last week. They're just gonna have to, that that the games are gonna start getting tighter. And now it comes down to how can they pull it together. And that's not, I mean, that was the thing about the win last night was that that was exactly that kind of win. Um, they got a ton of shots, but they kept at it, and they found they found the goals they needed. And, um, and that it is just so much more compelling to uh, to 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 cover a team like this. Not you know? not often can you say you've got uh, a cushion for severe regression, but when you're winning yeah. games by three goals through a dozen yeah. games you can trim off two per night and you still yeah. have a good chance to win yeah. well you're nine points up on yeah. play on the last well play. that's from the wins and loss department i mean exactly. just from a from a single solitary game you that shooting percentage can come way down and yeah. you still have a chance to score four goals well and you look at i mean just looking who they're gonna play they're playing the flames tonight but even after this they, you know they play the kraken twice they they play the sharks twice they play the flames again they play the ducks like there are obviously a couple top opponent tough opponents in colorado and, and vegas and you know and obviously anaheim is having an interesting start to the season and the kraken are i don't think we're ever going to be quite as good as they really as they sort of managed to be last year but they're going to be a tough opponent but the Canucks match up so well against all these teams. You can really finally say that. Even if you're looking at an injury, obviously losing Carson Soucy is an issue because he has been an, an important addition to this team in terms of as, as a depth defenseman. That is going to test them. That The tests are now here. I mean, we'll see what happens with Kuzmenko. I guess did post on Instagram that he's feeling fine. So that's good. But that was a reminder of how things could be. You lose Soucy and Kuzmenko you know, in the span of two days. If that had happened that you are going to have to start seeing what you can do. I mean, that, that goes back to the original quote that we all love from Jim Rutherford, that if everything goes right, you know, well, so far everything has gone right. Right. And at some point it's going to start, it is going to turn on them a little bit. It may not be extreme, but they may have to deal with a big bump, like losing one of their top forwards. 
and how they manage through that is going to be the question here. It's, it is obviously the opposition matters, but it comes down to what you are, how you are built and what you're able to do with it. And the Canucks have been doing a great job. So, so you can answer or you can argue this in both ways. Uh, you have a little bit of adversity here. You have an absence for a couple of months. You either say, hey, we've got a bit of cushion, all that regression that we talked about, that regression cushion that we talked about. You've got that in your favor. Do you just try to coast through it all and, and try to, or do you say, we're not giving up this momentum. We can't afford to give up this momentum. We are rolling like thunder right now. Let's plug the hole. Uh, which is more true, do you think? Which is more likely? Plug, plug the hole in terms of like roster additions, you mean? Yes, yes. Yeah, I think that is the most likely. I think you are now at a position, you've set yourself up that that it's going to be awfully hard not to make the playoffs from here. Um and, and so now you have to start saying, okay, what does this team need? What else can we put on this team? How do we make that happen? I mean, I think I mentioned last week, you know, you, you look at the easy one, which is Anthony Bovillier becomes a San Jose Shark, and then you have $4 million of cap space to work with. Um, but you start thinking even more, okay, who do we want? You know, what kind of winger would we like to find? Obviously, we know that there's interest in defensemen. Um, and, 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 you're looking at the ways you can push the guys that are in the lineup right now down a little bit. You know, I mean, Phil DiGiuseppe is a great story and has done very well on that line, but can you get a guy that's better than that, that does what he does better? Um, can you start adding pieces because you know you're going to need the depth anyway, like injuries are going to happen. Um that that's where you're at. And, and I think you have to think about that carefully because the other thing is, you know, you're going to match up probably, I mean, we talked about this last week, but you're probably going to match up against LA, maybe a matchup against Edmonton. One of those teams is going to be a tough team in the playoffs. And how do you feel about your chances with that? How do you feel that if you do win a first round, how do you feel about your second round against say Vegas? Um, you have to start thinking about how you match up against those teams and what you don't have and what you need to have a better chance of winning. And that's, you know, that's where you're at. Might as well get going on that as fast as you can. What do you think? Do you think they're going to land one of these Calgary defensemen or do you think it's just a lot of smoke? <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I mean, I, they, they certainly, I mean, I made the joking tweet in the summer and maybe I should have been clear about it, but like the fact they were interested in quote tall defensemen. I mean, they, they certainly were looking at Susie was their priority, but I think they, they've been interested in Zadora for, since before the draft, at least, uh, the the a tall, tough defenseman who can play. Like I think we're seeing in Susie what we've seen from him is 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 why they liked him. Like he's not he's not a you know a top pairing uh, offensive quality defenseman, but he's a guy who knows how, he can see the where to to make the pinch. Ian Cole's talked about uh, you know making the making the offensive zone smaller, like getting up, going up, having those smart instincts, understanding where to position yourself. Um, Zadorov is of that type. Like the guy scored double digits last year. Like the, so, so sure. And then of course, Tanev, I mean, the fit is obvious. And I think the player's interest in, in the place he's always wanted to be, uh, is obvious. I, I can understand why Calgary just does not want to do a deal with Vancouver. So does that mean Vancouver goes and finds someone back East to trade for one of these guys and then turn around? I, I don't know how the politics in the league would work that way, but maybe that's something that happens. Yeah. Um, I, 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 that type of player is certainly what they're going to be looking for, uh, whether it's exactly those two, I'm not sure. Hoaglander is not enough though. No, 
no, I, I think you're seeing enough from Hoaglander that like there's a useful part there, but it's not a guy that you say we have to keep him. You just want to say this is a play. But no, I mean Hoaglander on his own is not gonna make something like that work, I don't okay. think. But I think it depends on it also depends on who you're working with, right? Like like what have they, what can they do on the other side? Because there's not a lot th- that's the other thing to remember is that there's not a lot of cap space in the system. And so you're working with teams. I mean, that is one of the appeals of Hoaglander is that he is relatively expensive, but whether he's any more than sort of a fourth line energy guy, energy guy remains to be seen. And that's certainly mm-hmm. something that I think Rick Taki keeps highlighting because that's why he's a guy that's on the bubble of the roster right now. What um, what do you make of the fact that they're back talking with PD's representatives? I think it's interesting because I, I sort of I poked around on this, and obviously, yeah, I mean, there, there wouldn't be noise if there wasn't anything there. Um, I, I come back to the point I think we've always made, which is that Pedersen himself laid out the sort of standard: is this team winning? Does this team look like it's going somewhere? Um, balanced out with what is it like to play here? Uh, you know, what are the circumstances around the team? Um, in every sense. <laughs> And, and, um, the vibes are good, right? Like I can see why he'd be like, hmm, okay, I'm, I want, if, if we can keep this going, this is certainly something we want to do. I think it also <clears throat> now comes down to getting more clarity on what the cap's going to look like. How much, how much more wiggle room is there next year? You know, cause they do, will have to start managing the OEL buyout next year, um, you know, if we're talking about a four-year term, which I, you know, I think people are throwing around. Well, I mean, that's three of those four years. You're going to have substantial OEL uh, cap penalties to manage your way through. So, what does it look like? What number you want to keep the player? Uh, then it becomes the player. How much can I ask for? Um, and 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 how can we kind of find our way through that? But but certainly the way they're playing, the way they're winning, the way Rick Tockett clearly connects with his players. I mean, the the thing that forever blows my mind is how much of a player's this coach this guy clearly is. The fact that this is guy's the first guy on the ice, not because he's making some statements, but because he simply loves hockey and he loves coaching and he loves working with these players. Um, that the sort of passion and energy is so obvious from this guy. And if you were playing. If you're playing for him, I, I I think you're gonna want to love playing for him. I mean, every guy all, you hear all the good stories. Guys like playing for him in in uh, Arizona. Um, yeah, if you're Elias Patterson, you've now you've you've had this guy almost for a whole year, and you're going, okay, I think I actually believe in this stuff. Um, so yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me that that the that the conversation has is even if it's quiet. Um, has restarted. Good stuff. We'll catch up next Thursday. Probably a Take few care, wins guys. from now. A few wins from now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah we'll, 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 we'll talk to every, you when they're 15, 2, and 1. 3 and 1. 3 every, and 1. Every week, Chappie asks me. We have a little thing for our website. And he asks me, All right, who, how many wins again? Chappie picked five wins this week. <laughs> he, they were, he said they were just going to sweep everything. And I was like, <laughs> You never know. So, yeah. You yeah, never we'll know. talk to you next week in the undefeated Canucks. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, they've made the car business 
and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Here's some price from Wall Center presentation. Applewood Auto Group hashtags are the best and worst of Twitter.com. Um, let's start with this one. At Matt Snyder, CBS. Have you ever thought of this? What if there was just an MLB MVP instead of NL slash AL? Mm. I went back all the way to 2000 and had some fun here. So Snyder goes through the the exercise with baseballs if, if they only had one. But of course, we could reverse engineer this. Why doesn't the NHL have two? Yeah. There's very little cross-pollination now, as we know. The game each against some teams. I mean, it, it, you don't see much of these. Like, you pretty much are standard. There's, there's as much cross-pollination in baseball as there is in hockey. Mm-hmm. So why not have a Western Conference MVP and an Eastern Conference MVP? I'll... I'll- I like your concept. We don't question it in baseball at all. Well, it's because once upon a time, never shall the two meet. Yes, that's right. uh, Other than the World Series and um, Grapefruit and Cactus League. uh, I like your concept. I'm going to give you a different proposal. (laughs) Okay. Submit it to the committee. And, And because of the way the Hart Trophy language is written, a judged most valuable to his team. Right. Why don't we do a most outstanding player and a most valuable player? Mm-hmm. And in some years, it may well be the same person. But in other years, and you know how hockey likes to dole it out to different folks, yes, right? You yes, know, like, That's the thing, is that people would be worried about the double win. If we do the, the conference one, we know it's two different Fair winners. enough. Yeah. But... Most valuable and most outstanding are not always the same thing. No. Most valuable oftentimes is going to reward a singular performer on a team that the supporting cast isn't as strong. 120-point season on a San Jose Shark team. Uh, uh, Like Roberto Luongo, his first year with the Canucks. Mm -hmm. Not a particularly great team. No. He leads them to the division title. You know that's really valuable. I mean, yeah. as we know, what was LA, What was AV's? Uh, come on, Louis. Come on, Louis. <laughs> and that still allows you to award a most outstanding player to the points leader or somebody near the top of the yeah. point standings. Yeah, but that's mm-hmm. that's been an evergreen conversation to be had as well. I think they've. You know, a lot of times Ted Lindsay's a different winner. Mm-hmm. A little less MVP, a little more MOP on the Ted Lindsay side. Mm-hmm. Voted on by the players, of yeah. course. Yeah. Yeah, I think the players are like, that guy just has game, and so they give it to that guy who's mm-hmm. just got game. Um, but, yeah, other ways to skin it. At our Westhead, Rick Westhead of TSN, Hockey Canada offered a bit more detail today, yesterday about the appeal filed by some 2018 World Juniors team players who were found to have violated the Federation's Code of Conduct. The World Juniors appeal will be heard by a three-member panel who have, an ex- who have extensive legal experience, Hockey Canada tells me, adding there's no timeline on the appeal process. Hockey Canada declined to identify the members 
of the appeals panel. While appeals to sanctions for misconduct are now supposed to be directed to the Sport Dispute Resolution Centre of Canada, Hockey Canada's policies were different in 2018 when its officials first learned of this incident. It all seems very convenient, Blake. If you're wondering where the report is, this is the latest from Hockey Canada, but it's going to uh, an in-camera three-person appeals Where's committee. Where's it going? Like, what's the We're ending? not going to tell you who's on the committee. We're not going to tell you the duration of that process. And, uh, oh, by the way, yeah, we know there's a better process now, but because this incident happened previous to the establishment of this dispute re- resolution center, we're going to handle it ourselves. Yeah, and what do you bet that the timing of it is just at the end of the hockey season, so nobody's season is sort of severely impacted. But, like, eventually you have to face the music. Mm -hmm. So why are you kicking the can down the road? Are you hoping some guys retire before you actually come out with this? Like, what's the end game here? I mean, I do wonder whether it's the Batman, whether it's the... uh the Batman plan of just hope people forget exhausting the the storyline so that you care less about it by the time it's eventually revealed. I I, I just don't know what their end game is here. Um, this is put, a weird put, one. Put it this way: Hockey Canada, once a treasured institution in this country, and, and now you've got deep concerns about the trustworthiness of the institution. And of its executives. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. At Kevin Weeks, I'm told there could be multiple NHL animated games this season with broadcast partners. Also, the ESPN Frozen Frenzy, which went viral, won't be a one-hit wonder, is likely to return prior to the end of this regular season. Mm. Hashtag Hockey Twitter ESPN. What's an animated game? Just exactly what it's... Animation. But how do you do live animated? We got they, that technology they can now. Do that now. Mm-hmm. Have they done this before? Am I missing this? Or Apparently is this new? They've done it with the Frozen Four. As you know, Blake, I'm not the biggest animation fan in the world. People are very excited about this. I like this better than NFTs. <laughs> I do too. Exactly. <laughs> if you're going in any one direction, this is definitely better than the NFTs. We got to get our friend. Was it Trevor that designed the Luna New Year jersey? Yes. yes. Animated Studios. Yeah. Get his take on that. Yeah, I was chatting with him uh, about a month ago. At Jazzery Football rumors, a leaked source believes the Chargers are the favorites for Bill Belichick. If he leaves the Patriots, according to Gary Myers, Myers source says the Chargers have a great QB, a roster that can contend, and Belichick likes the California area. Quote, one of my well-placed sources believes the Chargers are favorites for Bill Belichick in 2024. Excellent QB, team ready to win. Belichick likes the beach. Um, Here's the thing. Gary Myers has been covering the NFL since 1978. He covered the rise of Bill Belichick as unknown assistant to defensive mastermind of those two giant Super Bowl teams. I would bet that Gary Myers knows something here. He's a member of the Hall of Fame Selection Committee. Uh, There is talk that Gerard Mayo, the one-time linebacker of the Patriots, may well be the successor there in New England. The Patriots, the Kraft family, talked to Mayo about uh, his future with the Patriots in a means to sort of 
dissuade him from looking for bigger jobs with other franchises. And as we talked about the other day, they're probably the only team in the AFC that's out of it right now. They've got two wins. They're looking at a top five pick. And the other thing is, and God bless him, he's the best coach who's ever walked in NFL sidelines. His talent evaluation has not exactly been stellar when you look at recent Patriots drafts. I've had, I've seen several people just suggesting he doesn't look like he's into it. Like he looks like he's just mailing it in right now. Um, I, I don't know. I, do you think there's another job in him? You think he wants well, to keep it? Well, I always this? thought if he's ever going to change jobs, it's going to go. It's going to be go back to the Giants because he knows the Mara and the Tish family from his days there. And I, I think if you ever if you saw that Parcells Belichick documentary, it's clear he still has deep affection for the Giants organization, but. Hey, he's an older guy now. California, the beach. We know he likes his boats. And as Myers points out, that's a terrific quarterback and an underachieving franchise. The pieces are in place there for somebody to take the Chargers next level. Yeah. I'm just having trouble. I'm struggling with the image of. Belichick on shirtless the on the beach. Well, did you see him shirtless in Frankfurt? Oh no, I didn't. Think they caught an no. illicit, uh, like nanny cam video of him uh, walking out of his uh, accommodation shirtless. What? Why? Yeah, yeah I don't know. Oh, so weird. I'm out. By the way. Oh, okay. One more from me. At C Apps Thirty Two, our old friend Kurt Appleby. Thank you, everyone, for all your incredible support in this contest. We couldn't have done it without everybody going all in and coming home with this huge prize. Kurt these days is working with a fantastic outfit called Honor House. It's a new West-based charity that provides a place for Canadian Armed Forces members, veterans, and emergency service workers and their families receiving medical treatment. They have started a new project in Ashcroft, British Columbia, called Honor Ranch. The ranch serves veterans and first responders undergoing treatment for operational stress injuries like anxiety, depression, PTSD. They were declared the winners in the Land Rover 2023 Defender Service Awards, a competition that awards a customized Defender 130 along with $25,000 cash us to six different charitable charities in different categories um blake we participated uh, in the promotional campaign for honor house and so delighted that these fantastic prizes are coming here to bc and that our friend mr appleby had a good hand in making this so so congratulations to honor house and to honor ranch and we're delighted to see you guys win the prize and that's hashtags for today Rob Williams is the national sports editor of the Daily Hive and its offside sports vertical. He joins us on Thursdays. And Rob, are the Canucks a Stanley Cup contender? (laughs) This is your number one topic here today. 16 games in, baby. Capital C, lowercase Cup contender. Guys, I, I, I don't know what, like my head is spinning with this start. 
Uh, Ditto. Franchise best record after 16 games. They're leading the Western Conference. There's only the Boston Bruins ahead of them in the in the NHL standings. Look at all the teams around them. Like there's not a bunch of pretenders around them. Are the Canucks just the one pretender in that group? I'm for the first time. This is like first time in 10 years. I'm asking the question. Like, can they win the Stanley Cup this season? Not are they a favorite? They're not a favorite, of course, right? Like I, I don't I don't think it's going to happen. But are they in the mix? And to me, the the question has changed from can this team make the playoffs, right? Remember Rutherford, like if everything goes right, we are a playoff team. Well, he didn't say like if everything goes right, we'll be leading the Western Conference and have the three top scorers in the NHL. I mean, everything has gone right beyond anyone's wild imagination. And I see see a few people on Twitter trying to dunk on people now. Like that's, that's a bit of nonsense, I think, right now. There's people that were more optimistic than I, but nobody saw this. Like this no. is at a level that just nobody saw coming. And that that's the question for me is like, like you look at this team. Yeah, they're getting some of the some bounces with PDO and that, that's a little high right now. But the players they have that are going right now, like do we think that Quinn Hughes isn't for real? Do we think Thatcher Demko is not for real? Do we think Leif Pedersen's not for real? Like, there's a lot of reason to believe that this team could, you know, is it, they have a chance. That, that's what I'm saying. They have a chance. They're in the mix. Um, you know, don't don't make any travel plans in June just in case, right? The, uh, the and and here's the thing. Like, is this the quietest NHL scoring leader ever in Elias Pettersson? And this is not to denigrate him at all because a fabulous feed to JT Miller and a great shot too from Miller. Um, but like, I still think Elias Pettersson has something to give here at 26 points and leading the National Hockey League. Like, the Miller and Hughes feel like they're going, feel like they're on a heater. Um, Pettersson just feels like he's just kind of, he's just doing his thing. Like, it, it actually doesn't feel like a spectacular Pettersson season. So, as much as there's regression possibilities in, in, in many places, I think there's still improvement available for Elias Pettersson. I think that's a great observation. I mean, some people have been wondering if he's, you know, playing through something right now, like playing through a bit of an injury, which is what makes it all the more incredible. Um, yeah, this is like the this is the first time I think we've seen where all of the Canucks stars, like the whole core group, is all going all at the same time, right? Like Miller had that great season, but Pedersen, you know, wasn't wasn't himself in the first half of the year and, and didn't have the year like he had last season when Miller dropped off. And Besser, of course, has not been himself for a few years. Uh, Demko struggled last year. But, like, you know, Hughes had the, the struggles in the, uh, in the bubble year. Like, everyone's going now. And, and that's, it's, it's, you know, hopefully it lasts. Um, but, yeah, with, with every single one of these wins, I'm beginning to think, like, Geez, this team, this is not a blip anymore. It's I don't even know if we can call this a start anymore. Like we're now into like starting to be into the meat of the season here. And I think another thing about this Canucks team that we've said for so long is remember we've always said the mix is wrong, right? They had the wrong mix. They didn't have anyone that could kill a penalty. And I think the mix is looking pretty good right now. Like the the additions that they made in the offseason. Uh, you know, Ian Cole, I think, has been a fantastic addition on defense. Like the the bottom six forwards that they've added, 
have really provided uh, a boost and, and, and the, the right kind of boost. I think the Lafferty edition has is, is just been perfect for what this team needed. You look at all that and, and, and the best mix of all, I think, is Rick Tockett. I mean, that is the perfect coach for this team right now. And you get the sense with this with the Canucks, like they're not like, you know, they, they're not really having these ups and downs and, and getting fat and happy after wins and then and then having a, a disappointing next game. They just seem like all business. Like they just it just seems like all the years of losing, they are just sick of it now. And they have come in uh, to this season and, and are proving that they can be a great team. Um, you know, the, the, this is the twisted sister theory. (laughs) We're not going to take it anymore. But I must admit, there's a part of me that like, I've, I've watched a lot of Canucks hockey and I've watched like decades of Canucks hockey. So I'm, there's a, there's a part of my brain that's like ready for it all to to come crumbling down. But, um, you know, if, if you, if you take that away, I'm looking at this team and I'm like, okay, like the defense worries me. I think that's the one, the one so, part where they do need to improve the defense. But other than that, I, I feel like the mix and everything they have here is, is looking pretty, pretty darn great. Well, I was going to take you on Robin and, and ask, are they deep enough? Are they too top heavy? Do you need to see more at even strength to call them a cup contender? You apparently don't, but would those be the worries? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like when I, and when I say cup contender, like I'm not saying like, this is like there's they're in the, that I'd rank them top five in, in odds. I'm just saying like, are they in the mix? Like, could, could mm-hmm. they win the Stanley cup this year? And, yep. you know, I mean, remember that, that hundred point team under Willie Desjardins, they went to the playoffs. Like, no, everyone I think understood that year. Like this is this, this team is not winning the Stanley cup, but today's team, like, could they win the Stanley cup uh, two weeks ago? I would have said no, but now I'm not so sure. So uh that that's where i think they, they've put themselves into the mix i do think they need to make additions on defense um and i think that's why we're hearing so much talk about like chris tanev and zadorov i think they uh you know they do need a, a a second pairing defenseman uh to really solidify that and preferably a, a right shot d um I'm, I'm not sure if tanev's game is 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 where it was you know a couple of years ago and so that would be maybe my concern otherwise you know, Tana from two years ago, it was the perfect addition for this team. Help a bit more on the penalty kill. The penalty kill still hasn't, it hasn't been a tire fire like it has in the past, but it's not bad. You know, it's, it's, it's capable, it's, you know, respectable at, at minimum. Uh, so adding someone like, like that to help on the PK and someone you know can play with Hughes or you can slide them onto the second pair if you want to play them down the lineup. I think they need something like that. I, I, I don't, I wouldn't give up what the, the, you know, the, reports of what Calgary is looking for. I don't think you'd give up the farm for, for a soon to be 34 year old. Um, but I do think they need to, they do they need to shore up the D. I think that's the, the, the one part where I'm feeling a little less confident. Right now. Would you do Hoaglander in a second for Tanif? No. no. Would you I, like? The, uh, yeah, I think I, I think I might. I think you, I think you wait and see what else come, becomes available. I think you can get somebody for, for a little bit less than that, um, particularly, you know, expiring contract, injury prone. And like, I'm the biggest Tana fan out there, but like, you know, injury no. prone, you know, uh, expiring contract, like, you know, I could see, I could see them trading for him. He gets injured the next game and then you've just given away, uh, you know, two pretty good assets. 
uh, for nothing. So I, I do think you, I, I think that price is, is too high, but so I do think you, you wait and, and see and, and try to make an, another addition at some point. Uh, I don't think they need, you know, clearly right now they don't need to be in a, in a panic move. You, you, you wait and see what becomes available, but yeah, that's, that's something that they, they clearly need to add. But again, the other things that, you know, like everything has gone right for this team for the most part, but they still do have guys where you can go, okay, you know, look, you know, if Kuzmenko misses some time here, you know, you're not bringing up, you know, guys that have never played top six minutes in, into your top six now. Like you've got guys like Garland and, and uh, Beauvillier that, you know, I could envision them stepping in and, and um, you know, and, and contributing uh, and being able to uh, add some points on the board for, uh, for the Canucks in a top six role. I, uh, I think we all knew this was going to be a heavy game for Bo Horvat, and I don't mean heavy hockey. Uh, we knew he was a feeler. We knew how much playing here and being the captain of the Vancouver Canucks meant to him. Did you expect to see that much emotion? And uh, Rob, did you get emotional watching that? <laughs> I was not myself emotional watching it. Uh, but no, I, I, yeah, I, I did not expect, I, I didn't, I didn't think he was going to get emotional actually. I, that, that part definitely surprised me. Uh, the rest of the night, I think what went about is what I expected. I thought there'd be some audible boos. I didn't think it would be like when Steve Francis came back and played the Grizzlies or anything like, like that. It's, it's not like Brad Marchand rolled into the building uh, after 2011. Um, you know, it wasn't on those kind of levels at all, but audible boos uh, certainly. And, uh, but it, uh, that, that kind of petered out it, um, you know, it was pretty muffled and half-hearted booing, I would say, after, after you know, the first period, uh, certainly. And uh, I think a wonderful ovation from Canucks fans where, um, you know, people stood and applauded a, a guy, I think, that, uh, you know, like if, if there had been more team success, uh, you know, he'd be viewed differently because he was, you know, I think a, a heart and soul player that, came into Vancouver and just so happened to be playing at a, you know, a time where there was a lot of losing and, and, you know, had a lot of um, lean years through, through mostly no fault of his own. It seemed just about right. Uh, the, the tone all night long with regards to, uh, with regards to Bo and uh, might be a shred of jealousy now too, because I, you know, what are they six losses in a row now for the Islanders? Mm -hmm. He's in no better a spot than he was necessarily with the, with the Canucks when he left. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of reminds me like, you remember when like Matt Duchesne wanted out of Colorado because he was just sick of all those years of losing, like forget this. And then he just immediately goes to all these losing, losing teams while Colorado becomes a, a Stanley cup champion. Uh, yeah. I mean, it remains to be seen what the next few years look like in Vancouver, but uh I think Bo could have, I mean, you could have predicted that the Islanders, uh, you know, to sign long-term on Long Island with, with, you know, the ages of most of their best players. Uh, that always seemed like a bit of a risky proposition to me. So I, I wonder if he'll be, you know, regretting the, the long-term commitment to, in New York. Yeah, some anchor contracts there as well. He's, uh, he knows a thing or two about those. Mm -hmm. Rob, great stuff. Thanks for this. Catch up next Thursday. Thank you.
Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation. Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Yeah, you know it's going to be great. A few things baseball related I wanted to get to. First of all, former Vancouver Canadian Ricky Tiedemann was named the Arizona Fall League Pitcher of the Year. He carried a 250 ERA. Hitters uh, opposition hit just 190 against him, 23 strikeouts and 18 innings pitched. This can be a tough league for pitchers. This is uh, all the top prospects or minor leaguers of a certain standing that have had some injury and need extra at-bats. So fantastic news. And there's even you know people wondering, could he begin the season in the Blue Jays' rotation? And if that's the case then are there any Alec Manoa truthers out there? And would the Blue Jays have a trade tri- trade ship with their one-time ace to try and help that sagging lineup? And then down in Seattle, they have an agreement to hire Brant Brown on their coaching staff. Now, he was the Marlins hitting coach last year, but he's previously worked with Cody Bellinger and Justin Turner in L.A. with the Dodgers. Those are two of the free agent bats that are out there, and so people are drawing the line and going, hmm, does that mean Seattle is going to look to boost its sagging offense with a couple of guys who, of course, won a World Series in Los Angeles, and you know Bellinger is one of the top free agent hitters available. Then there is this, Blake. Your namesake, Blake Snell. Pitcher, San Diego Padres, National League Cy Young winner announced yesterday. His second Cy Young, he won one with the Tampa Bay Race. He now has two more Cy Young awards than he has complete games in his career. Mm-hmm. You'll remember he was taken out early in that World Series game, much yeah. to everybody's chagrin. That's where we're at now. Guy has never pitched a complete game in his life, has two Cy Young Awards. Sport has undergone so much change. It's incredible. So much change. Like Bob Gibson is rolling over. Yeah. I mean, you you look at Jack Morris is female, although Jack is always cranky. You look at guys with 200 innings these days, and it's, it's a rarity. It's, it's hard to do that. Um, and then just in game situation, managers don't want to let you go the complete nope. game. No, nope. and the analysts won't let you now either. When you say manager, you really just mean the the, the phone call from up top. The, exactly, the data yeah. analysts. All right, poll question results from yesterday. Most likely to be in the Canucks ring of honor. Bo Horvat, JT Miller, neither or both. What won the poll? Uh, JT Miller. Indeed. Percentage? That was my vote, by the way. Um, <laughs> 41 46. Hmm. Neither got 44. It was neck and neck the entire way. GT yeah. got a late boost. I do wonder whether the three-point game last night took him over the edge. Bo got just six. Both got five. Yeah. Louis the Goat. No chance Bo gets retired. But if Miller reaches 700-ish games for the Canucks and can get to 600 points, I don't see why not. So a lot of people say retired, though. It's not what we're asking, no, folks. Well, Ring of Honor is very different. Okay. Sean, if the Canucks get to a cup final or win the cup, Miller gets his jersey retired. Sanch says it's too early. And United 1999, how small do they want to make the font? (laughs) We talked about that (laughs) a few weeks back. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that if this Canucks team has any semblance of success, much like the 2011 crew, which had really, you know, a good deep lineup, you know, like you have to start making tough decisions on how you fit all these people. Remember, we haven't really fleshed out that 2011 crew yet. Like Alex Edler's going up there, you'd have to think. Oh, for sure. I mean, he's, I mean, outside of Quinn Hughes, he's the best defenseman in Canucks history. Right. Certainly the best career amongst defensemen in Canucks history. So, yeah, I mean, this group, considering the spectacular top end of this lineup, there would be a bunch of guys that if this team wins a cup in the next five years, (laughs) start shrinking the font. Do you think there's any world where Kessler gets up there? I don't. I don't think it's – I mean, again, it's sort of like the Hall of Fame thing. This is not a slight on the player. But I, I just think he is that first notch of player right below it. Do you think there's a world where the forces that want to get Tony Tanty up there, and there are many inside and outside the organization? Um, I think uh, Tony Tanty's case suffers from time expired and lack of 80s, team success. And 80s bias and team success, all three. Okay. Yeah. And they're after Lou here next month. Is there any other candidate? In the offing? Not unless you get into a real drought. Like if, if this if this team and its spectacular stars for whatever no. reason dissipate or what have you. Can't see it. Um and they just they need somebody to fet. Maybe that's where guys like Kessler can get back into the conversation. But no, I, I think I think the bar's pretty high right now. Errors and omissions from yesterday's program. Uh, we were talking about Hikito Akito Hiroshi playing and for Reasons I'm still a little unsure on. <laughs> He's willing to play the righty on the left side, but not the lefty on the right uh, side. NHL veteran players in, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, it, 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 other than <laughs> I mean, the, the difference between Hirose and Friedman. If, yeah. Okay. Splicing hairs. Yeah. And Jolson. Grady, you had one as well. Yes, uh, Rick on Instagram, Cloverdale Clucker, is taking issue with. You saying the word straight fire, Matthew. He's oh. saying, sorry, Matt, but I have to put you on E's and O's. My teenage kids confirmed it. After the age of 28, you can no longer use the term straight fire. Although, yeah, I agree with Ryan Phillips, was wearing a sweet-looking jacket. No oh, so sweet is okay, but straight fire. Mm-hmm. Don't go there. How about sick? Can we say that, that jacket how about was sick? Bananas. How, about, how about dope? Oh, that's just old. Like that, no one uses that anymore. You're not stealing their vernacular. How about You're boss? Stealing... Same thing. Too old. Flames. On fleek. Remember that one? That was a weird one for a while. What? Yeah. For Grady back me up. Come on, that was a thing for like never yeah. Yeah. yeah in my life for like two seconds. What about rad? Yeah, really old. Remember that was a movie. It's a great movie. Bitchin'. Bitchin'. Oh my god, did we watch rad? Anyways, that was it. Team Mongoose. (laughs) Betway bets of the day. And here's the thing. I want to believe in Miami, but I don't yet trust Miami. And as we talked about earlier in the week, the AFC is just a bloodbath. So the Raiders, who've been playing better football, they can get after the quarterback with Max Crosby. And as we know, Tua takes some hits. I just think 13 and a half is too much. Give me the Raiders on my Betway bet of the day. 
This doesn't seem very fair because Canada is the best team in CONCACAF, right? That last check? Oh, yeah. Um, the USA got Trinidad and Tobago in their First Nations League game. Trinidad and Tobago's a, an even 51 to win versus the U.S. Really? Um, and Canada's got Jamaica, which is a tough out. Still, they are the favorites. 225 on Canada over Jamaica. Please play responsibly and, of course, must be 19-plus to play. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us, Rinkwine and Connects Conversation, wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social. That's Twitter, Insta, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.